Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast. A podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today, get ready to be swept away in another insightful episode of our much-loved innovation series. Let's face it, innovation is the beating heart of every successful business. And in the world of business broking, an industry that shapes the lives of entrepreneurs and business owners as they navigate the thrilling realm of buying and selling businesses innovation becomes an absolute game changer. In this episode, we speak with someone that is very much across business, innovation, and his profession, dentistry. We are talking to Dr. David Penn, a true Australian innovator. David shares insights from his career, which include dentistry, but also his history in building Southern Cross Dental Labs, which was valued at $95 million at exit playing a fundamental role with Invisalign in Australia, establishing Penn College in 2014, and his involvement and ownership in other non-dental businesses, including Lowe's menswear. David, in this episode, shares with us the absolute importance and advantage that focusing on a niche can create for your business, any business, not just dentists, but also the power of diversification within your niche. He shares real-life examples of the way he's approached innovation and entrepreneurship to invest in R&D and new ventures. He has some absolutely fascinating views on why you shouldn't necessarily aim for 100%. And he also talks about the approach to risk, research, metrics, and timing when it comes to innovation. This was an absolutely amazing conversation about innovation that I just can't wait to share with you all. So tune in right here, right now for another episode of the Deal Room podcast with our special guest, Dr. David Penn. David, I just want to say an absolutely massive thank you for coming on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited about the discussion today. Um, Now, one of the things that I really wanted uh, to talk to you about is this concept of niching for success versus diversification because, um, you know, you're obviously in a niche. You're in dental, you're a dentist involved in, um, uh, Invisalign, but you said to dentists when we're on, um, a, on the buy, grow, exit, uh, summit, um, a few weeks ago, one of the things that I picked up on that you said that I thought was really interesting, you said to dentists that you need to differentiate unless you can, you're going to have an average life. I thought that was a fabulous comment. But at the same time, I have noticed, David, this interesting thing that you're also quite diversified. So you're involved with Lowe's, with Penn University, with robotics, with vaccines. I mean, they, they, that seems quite diversified from my perspective. So tell me, what, what are your thoughts about this concept of niching for differentiation versus diversification. Yeah, well, it's it really is an interesting one because I think when you when the dentists graduate from university, they're not really encouraged encouraged to sort of think outside the square. Um, they're given a cookie cutter solutions 
in almost every realm and they're discouraged to take risks. They don't want to be making errors. They don't want to be making mistakes. And so they become very risk-averse, uh, very conservative, very hard to change their thinking. And most of the time that when I, uh, when I do go and do lectures, they just want this, again, this cookie-cutter recipe of just tell me from A to Z or 1 to 10 exactly how to do a process. Now, if I throw a red herring in there, and occasionally I do that deliberately in lectures to see if they're listening, and I'll say something absolutely ridiculous. I remember there's one funny one where a few years ago I told them that we, would, we were harvesting rocks from the moon to actually put and, and the actual the, the graphite material we're using in crowns. Now, this is preposterous, absolutely preposterous, yet they were all madly writing this stuff down. And even at the end, I was expecting some questions, but they didn't. They just, so all I'm sort of saying is they're, they're blinking. They come out of the – and most dental schools, like all dental schools around the world are like that. Now, the problem with that is then for dentists then to be uh, – how can I sort of say – uh, take on new processes, um, new services, new techniques, new materials. It's very, very difficult for them. A lot of them will say, no, I learned this and I'm going to continue with that. So to change their thinking is different. So then all of a sudden if you sort of say to them, well, look, I want you to be involved with laser dentistry. I want you to be involved with TMD therapy. Um, I want you to be involved in, in treating xerostomia, dry mouth. They panic because they sort of think, well, I haven't been taught this. But for them to go and do enough education to become confident in that is very difficult. But if we can get them to transcend into one of these niches, the way nobody else in that particular area has got that skill set, they've differentiated themselves into, into a, a whole new uh, cohort of patients. And all of a sudden, the chance for the practice to grow, if they market themselves properly, is great. So I think that for a dentist who's working full-time and hasn't got a lot of time like I do, I think, I think what you were sort of saying, the fact that I am diversified amongst my niches is because as I've gotten older and I've got doing less clinical time, I've got more time to think about all the problems that I've seen in dentistry for the last 40 years. And once you're aware of the problem, then you've got the ability or at least to be able to think about how can I solve that problem. But so I've got a lot of time on my hands. Mine is is unusual and then I and my perhaps my inquisitive mind I like to sort of go and look at new things and then when I see opportunity there then I will I'll dig down even sort of further but I think for the general dentist who's working four days a week or 30 to 40 hours per week perhaps chair side I think to go into these niches these individual niches one at a time is absolutely a wonderful way for them to to differentiate themselves and build a profit center a new profit center in their practice. We did that with Invisalign, and I've seen it with a number of number of things uh, in dentistry over the years. Yeah, and of course, you're talking about dentistry right now, but I think the message is so absolutely applicable to all businesses, and and that's the point, right? You know, your Southern Cross Dental wasn't a dental practice; it it was it it was a supply uh, uh, supplier to the dental industry. Well, I think, I think Janet, the thing that's interesting with the laboratory side is that we were pushing new techniques and new materials all the time. So we were lucky. We, we were working with an academic institution, Hong Kong University in particular, where their academics and PhD students were pushing the limits, and we were watching that, and every time we saw something, we thought, well, hey, we can introduce this to the marketplace there. So, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. But that 
And I see in other businesses, I've got a lot of friends I do mentoring with a lot of people in, in different businesses. I see the same sort of thing is that they're, they're, uh, a lot of them are unwilling to, to look at, the, at new t- technology, new techniques, new materials. When they do, a lot of time they don't really know how to integrate it properly and that takes time. They've got to have a risk appetite. Um, they've got to be careful not to make it too capital intensive because I often see people who throw a lot of money at things and thinking, well, the more money I throw at it, the better it's going to be. And we talk a lot about using sweat equity, and that's what I really like. I said to say, somebody, if you can do it yourself, it might take a bit longer, but your risk profile is completely different. So I'd rather you do the research rather than going outsourcing this or outsourcing that. Obviously, there's some things you have to outsource, but I think it's a fundamental problem with a lot of businesses is they don't, they don't project towards the future. I, I think one of the greatest uh, mottos is in 3M, the, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, monstrous corporation that I'm sure you're, you're well aware of. And then is that they said that in five years from now that 40% of their sales want to be in products they haven't thought of yet. Wow. Now, when you stop and think about that, imagine you as a lawyer thinking, gee, what am I going to be doing in five years from now where 40, 40% of my revenue through my legal practice is going to be in what? I'm going to go into strata law. I'm going to go into, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but can you imagine that? So that to me is the true sort of uh, face of innovation where you're backing yourself and you say, I'm continually looking looking for opportunity. And you've got the other ones, which, of course, which, which you know, reach tipping point, which become you know, uh, you know uh, things that are fundamental in, in certain marketplaces. There's sandpaper, there's sticky tape, there are adhesives. You've got so many different parts of 3M and they might try 10, three might stick, four might be a maybe, three might go down the toilet. That doesn't matter. But it's those three, three stellar performers and they've added to the, you know, to the armamentarium of the business and I think that applies as applicable to in, in every single business and at Lowe's. Um, you know, with a, you know, a, we're doing that all the time. We're looking for niches all the time. And so, what's an example of that, David? What's an example of it? Lowe's, a sort of niche. The traditionally Lowe's has been a menswear business, um, and then they were involved in schoolwear. And Lowe's supplies more than twelve hundred schools around Australia. Um, but then they got into workwear, and workwear, for instance, high vis products. That's a massive. That's a massive industry for the construction industry and for many other areas. Um, then you've got big men's. Now, big men's. You sort of think, well, hang on, what's that? Well, there's a lot of guys in Australia, not just Australia, but around the world, who might be four XL or six XL. Not everybody has got access to those clothes. So that's another niche. Um, and there's there's corporate wear. If we want to go and supply uniforms to a to a large corporation, fantastic. So we're looking for these types of niches. Now, actually, we're looking at, at scrubs for medical practices and for dental practices. So these are the type of things where we encourage the buyers to look for opportunity across the board. And so are you saying there that um, that that your, your recommendation uh, to those smaller practices to, is to find their first niche, but as they grow, it's to constantly build on that diversification of multiple niches. So still niching, but just multiple niches. Exactly. When you talk about the 3M model, if they're adding one of these niches per year, 
then you're going to find in five years from now they're going to have five niches. And if they only had room for 15 or 20 niches, then you know, 33, 20 to 33% of their business is totally different than the way that it was five years ago. Now, to me, that is the way that business constantly evolving, evolving. You don't always get it right, but you need to be looking at So you need to encourage people in the practice to take some degree of risk. And, and as I said, in our organisation here and at Southern Cross and at Lowe's, we say to people, if you're not making a few mistakes, you're not taking enough risk. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so true, right? It is true because you really got to think to yourself, if you're getting everyone right, it means you're not taking enough risk and you're not really stretching the sort of the envelope sort of really far enough where you want to go. So, you know, I, I was talking last night to a group and I said one day in the probably the next 12 months, I'm going to do a presentation of all the monstrous disasters that we had and all the things that we thought were going to be fantastic that were just absolute, they're just complete failures and what the reason was and how we, you know, because it's interesting because those things I think are really fun to reflect upon and say, well, what went wrong? Did we, did we misread the market? Was the technology usurped easily? Was the, What was the reason why it failed? And each time that we do fail, it sort of just adds a little notch sort of in my brain somewhere to sort of say, don't forget to look at that particular one because you failed there before. And that's how to me on a myriad of occasions uh, you know for every success we've had we've we've probably had you know almost one to one failure rate or relative relative failure rate when where it's something has failed to thrive and i've seen this in dental practices um i've seen i've got i've seen it in legal practice i've got a lot of friends who are lawyers i mean i've got seen them specialized uh, to to the nth degree and where they're almost like, you know, this is great. You're a specialist in this particular area of I've got one in construction and finance law, a really good friend of mine. He wrote a book about it, but he wrote it from the developer's perspective and it's like so niche, it's too niche. And it's like, well, I said, well, think of all the hours you spent writing this great book and I can understand it, but which is great, but the problem is how many actual people in construction would take the time What's the size of your target market? You haven't actually reflected on that. So was there any commercial metrics, you know, which were applicable from day one? Great book, but over niche. Let's talk about that then, David. I, I love that. I love that because I think – so one of the things that you've talked about, obviously, you, you know, um, don't be afraid to fail, but there has to be a point when you call it, you know. There has to be a point where you say, okay, well, that's, that's an idea that didn't work. That's a niche that didn't work. Let's move on to the next one. So maybe can we talk about what, what are those factors – to to think about to make sure your niche testing is leading you in the right direction rather than uh, you know encouraging you to spend too much time focusing constantly on things maybe that aren't working that's a really good point and that's a difficult one because ego comes into it um and a lot of people are i can sort of say are reluctant and especially when we do a lot of work in, in research and development and you can't have an ego in R&D because today's great product can be tomorrow's garbage. And we've worked with, with plenty of people who can't give that up. They're, they're emotionally invested and they can't pivot from one thing to another. So it's the type, not everybody's suited for this, don't get me wrong. Um, I think, though, if you do um, certain market research, and, and as, for, look, as far as dentistry is concerned, 
Um, I guess there's two things. You can do things which are on the fringe where people are already sort of looking at this. You might, might look to um, other markets, you might look to the US or to the European markets who may be somewhat technologically more advanced in some areas, in some areas, and you can take heed of what's going on there and you can try those things. I think clinical trials are always an interesting way to do things. Um, and I think uh, I think one of the most important things is always assessing the target market. And I think a lot of people tend to um, kid themselves about, well, you know, I've, I've, I've just made a new pen and everybody in Australia is going to buy it. So guess what? I can make a dollar fifty from every pen, and I know there's 27 million people in Australia, and I do the numbers, and that's what I'm going to make. Now that's just ridiculous. That's fantasy land. On the other hand, you get the the doomsday says to say, "Oh, guess what? You know, my pen is it might be toxic, and you know there might be things in there because, and there might be nanoparticles. If I hear that word one more time, I'm going to scream. Everybody, nanoparticles. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. But it, it's it's so you've got the two ends of the spectrum. You've got the one who's doing looking at the target market and doing the the metrics, which are ridiculous. Where you know it's ridiculously optimistic, and then you've got the ultimate pessimist, and then you've got somewhere in between who's the realist. So I mean, it's very very hard to you know to look at yourself in the mirror and say what am I? I mean, if I ask you the question, what are you? Are you an optimist, a pessimist, or a realist? What would you say? <laughs> I'm definitely an yeah, optimist. Well, that's great because, in fact, my wife my wife talks about that a lot at Lowe's because she says often one of the best things that she does is she says yes first and then she'll figure out a way to do it later, which I think is great. But I've got other people I work with, on the other hand, who immediate reaction is, oh, gee, no, I don't think that's going to work. It's too dangerous. It's too risky, all that sort of stuff. So I think it depends very much on the individual then about when you're going to pull the plug and when you're going to start to pivot away from something that's not looking favourable. But I think if you do your due diligence first off, then you get a couple of people who you trust around you to sort of say, like, well, we're looking at a device at the moment. I've asked five people this week how much they would pay for the device. And it's, it's a laser type of device. It's a really interesting one. And I've had reactions between five hundred and ten thousand dollars and $10,000 for the same device. Now, so then it's, it's interesting. So then when you talk about making a call of whether to pull the plug on something, if somebody, if, if, if I said it was going to cost me $250 to produce that and the person at $500 is, is closer to being correct or you think the person at $10,000 is closer to being correct, you're going to make a call. Do you average it? Do you get more market research? All of those type of things more information that you can get, the better, as long as the information is coming from people who are credible. And I think you've got to be careful because, you know, sometimes if you get a pessimistic people around you, they can colour your judgement and they can turn you away from things. It's like the, the classic examples, like they say, you know what, 97% of patients are going to be happy with this, this, this procedure. And I've seen this happen many times in the courses that I've taught where people say, oh, we can't do that because 3% of patients will be unhappy. And they'll actually turn away from it because they think it has to be 100% right. Now, you know, I don't know if you remember that, that famous quote from uh, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf, the, the, the American general. And this is really, this is an interesting one, a takeaway. I was taught this a while ago. He said that 
when you can, when you make a decision, you should collect seventy percent of the data that's available. And this is what he was doing in in, in war times. And he said that the other thirty percent, you go on gut instinct. The interesting part he said is because the time that would take you to collect the other thirty percent of the data, the remaining data, the opportunity is gone. Now that's quite an interesting one because I've got many friends. I've got one friend who's a lawyer actually, and she's one of these people who will only make a decision when she's got a hundred percent of the data. Now you think about that: how many times you've made recommendations to your clients, and you thought, "Well, I could research that a little bit more, but I've got four ideas, and I've got blah 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 blah." Now this girl would go and get twenty different opinions on things and she wouldn't make a call until she's basically looked at absolutely everything now the client on the other end is worried about being sued waiting for for some advice from you and this other girl's taken a month because she's done so much research yet you've got back to her in two days now what's going to be more commercially successful one time out of 50 you might be wrong and the other one might be wrong zero times out of 50 but from a commercial perspective Joanna's going to do way better than this other lady because you've been commercially pragmatic. So I, I don't think you can ever get it one hundred percent correct. I, I, I think you'd be stupid to think that it's 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 a lay down mazette. There's risk in everything, but again, the Schwarzkopf thing is really interesting. That that seventy thirty really calls it. It's, it's and he used it in wartime. That when we do a strike, you know, we we know we know a lot about what's happening, but we don't know it all. Well, look, David, I just want to say a huge thank you um, for being on the podcast today. Such fascinating discussions between this concept of niche, niche, niching, multiple yep. niching to the point where you maybe differentiate, uh, you know, your uh, diversifying through multiple yeah. niches. But um, look, and, and if our listeners want to connect with you, how can they go about doing that? Just email me. That's the best way. <laughs> Even even at my age, I know how to use email. It's easy. Do you really want us to put a link in our show notes, David, to your email? I feel like it could be peppery. Really, as I said, I said I do a lot of mentoring, and I really enjoy this. Um, and I like working with um, you know motivated people, and if they got ideas and things, and and you know how to traverse the from concept to commercialization is that I sort of do a lot of that sort of thing and I guide them through what I call the valley of death when they're getting close where they don't really know there's all the regulatory stuff. There's so many things. So, yeah, I'm really happy to talk to to people. And um, and as I'm getting older, I find that I'm enjoying this even more and more because I've, I've been involved in so many different types of things. It's fascinating. But as you sort of said, the principles generally are quite the same across most. And, um, yeah, and so, um, yeah, really delighted if, they want to sort of, uh, as of email me and say, I've got this crazy idea, what do you think? And I'll give it to you straight between the eyes. It won't be sugar-coated. <laughs> oh, David, I love it. I just want to say thank you, a huge thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast. We hope you're now primed for your next deal with these pointers and have enjoyed these fascinating insights. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com. 
com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode, as well as access any contact details and any other additional information we referred to in today's podcast. Now, if you'd like to get in contact with our guests today and the services they offer, you can go ahead and check out our show notes for a link right through to them and their details. You can also book in directly with our legal legals at Aspect Legal if you'd like to soundboard your next steps, discuss a legal question, or find out more how we can assist, whether that's with buying or selling a business or perhaps somewhere in between. Now, don't forget to subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on your favourite podcast player to get notifications whenever a new episode is out. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're already one of our subscribers or even if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. Every review helps our team produce valuable content for you. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oakey and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants, and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organizations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars, and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen. that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.